All right, well, today we are wrapping up uh, the series Circles, and you may be wondering, why did you pick the name Circles? Well, if you haven't heard me explain it already, it's, we just felt like the title, Why Life Groups Are Important to Deer Run Church, didn't really work as far as putting it on a, a graphic, and so Circles. Um, circles are better than rows. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's kind of the concept behind this, that there are some things that just do not work in rows. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But our theme for 2020 um, as a church is made for more. And we really think that life groups is, are going to be part of us discovering what we are made for and how we are made for more. And it, it's going to help us in maybe some of those areas where we are wrestling with ourselves and going like, I wonder if this is what God's calling me to. I wonder if this is where I'm supposed to plug in. And, and sometimes in a larger setting like this where it's just rows and, and this is great, but you, you, you can't have some of that dialogue that's so important when we're, when we're processing areas of our lives. And so circles are better than rows for those kind of things. And so we're looking at this last three weeks, this week and the last two weeks, um, at why are life groups important to Deer Run Church? And so I want to take and just kind of remind us a little bit. We said that life groups are just a small group of people, but there are three key elements to life groups that we want us to focus on, that we want every life group to be focused on. Number one is relationships. We want you to develop healthy relationships. And if you missed these sermons, you can go on our website. They're all there. But we want you to develop healthy relationships that are authentic, that where you are safe to be vulnerable, where you can open up and share about yourself, where, where you feel that you are known and where you know other people. Again, rows are not great for that because you can sit in a row and you can have people behind you and in front of you and you're not really connecting with them. And then as soon as the service is over, it's kind of like, okay, see you later, I'm out of here. Where in a life group, if you're not there that Sunday or there, you're not there for that life group meeting, you'll be missed. You will be noticed. And, and when there's a discussion or something like that, you have, you have a chance to share and you can you know, be involved. And so relationships work better in circles. The other one, the other element is growth. We want you to develop. We want you to understand more about yourself. And we want you to understand, you know, um, scriptures better. And we said last week that in, in roles like this, it, this is great. This is good for this kind of a teaching. But we looked last week at some stats and how much you are all going to forget. As a matter of fact, many of you by the end of this, this day, you're not going to be able to remember much of what was said in the sermon. And so this isn't a really good, you know, conducive environment for flushing out ideas. You might hear something in the sermon and be like, oh, I wonder if he meant this or this. Well, you can't just interrupt and, and talk about those. But in a life group setting... That's where you can do those things. You can talk to each other. You can flush ideas out. You can understand. You can challenge each other. You can encourage each other to maybe, you know, you're like, I really feel God's doing this in my life, and I feel that he's, you know, encouraging me to do this. Well, in a life group, you can actually encourage that kind of growth. You can hold each other accountable, all kinds of things. And then the last one is community change. Community change, where we impact the community and we change the community around me. And I'm just going to apologize ahead of time of the three elements that are here in, in why we have life groups. This is probably the one that is closest to my heart. This is the one that, that stirs me the most. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of uh, time today uh, sharing with us about how we need to be a church that impacts the community. And if that's, a, if that's something that we value as a church then we want you to value that as a life group. That you would be focused as a life group to impact the community that you are involved in. Now, community change can mean many things. 
But I think there's something beautiful and holistic about looking beyond ourselves. And I think sometimes when we think about community change, we right away say, oh, like all of Leamington? Well, I can't change all of Leamington. All of Essex County? Well, it just seems so daunting that it's like, man, I can never do that. But community change is this beautiful, holistic thing that we can look at and say, well, maybe someone in my neighborhood. Maybe maybe one of my family members. Where my life group's actually going to help change community by helping someone in my family or, or helping somebody, you know, that is close to me. It doesn't have to be the entire community as a whole. And so this is a beautiful way that a life group can look into, again, through the relationships and through the growth that is already happening, we can be a, a place where we can care and help each other. It's the idea of seeing the people around us and making an impact into their lives in a healthy way. Now, a little bit about me. Um, I'm one of those people who struggles to drive past somebody when their car is broken down. Um, there's a couple of problems with that. So I find myself normally pulling over and I try to help. And the biggest problem with that is that I'm not a mechanic. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you walk over to someone who's like looking at their car and they see you and, you know, this is like hope in their eyes. Like, oh, obviously the reason the guy pulled over is because he knows how to fix. And they're like, oh, you know, you're a mechanic. I'm like, no. I'm here for moral support. I just saw you standing there hopelessly looking at something, and I figured I just, I'll go join the guy, you know, I'll just stand there. And this drives my wife crazy sometimes because she's like, well, we don't really, you know, we don't have time or we don't really know how to help and what are we going to do. And, and we were just at a conference in Orlando, and, 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 and again, it's just one of those things. We're driving down this big highway, four lanes, and, and I see in front of me there's this big box full of, you know, um, filter stuff for furnaces or, or metal. I don't know. It was crazy. And these cars are weaving in and out trying not to hit it. I hit, you know, I ran over some of it. And, and I'm just like, somebody's got to do something. And I look and everybody's back on the gas and away they're going. I'm one of those people. I just can't drive away from that. So I, you know, got in my, the right lane. And, and sure enough, there's a police officer there. And so Maria's like, I, is this a good idea? You're going to get hit by a car. And I'm like, I just, I got to do, like, someone's going to get hurt. I, I'm, that's just me. I'm one of those people. It's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not changing the community. Woo, big time. But there's something about that. And, like, I have to do something. I need to go and help. And so, I, you know, I told the police officer. And sure enough, he's like, oh, and, you know, off he went. And, and we drove away. And he probably just turned right and left it. I don't know. But I felt like, okay, I did what I needed to do. The other thing that we, we live in a, in a part of town where there's a lot of migrant workers. And, and so one of the things, you know, they come to this country and they don't have a lot. And one of the things that we notice sometimes in the summertime, it'll be pouring rain. And, and they're, you know, just running in the rain. And so this year, Maria and I are actually thinking we're going to buy a whole bulk of umbrellas. Because we've given away so many umbrellas already. We're like down to none again. And, and it's like we, have this, we used to have this whole bunch in our, our porch. And, and we've given them all away. We have one left. And so we're like, we were actually talking about this the other day. Let's go buy a whole bulk of umbrellas. So when we see these people walking by, we can give them an umbrella and says, hey, you know, um, on your way. But what we see sometimes, they'll be like running in the rain. And they're soaking wet. Or they're underneath a tree trying to stay dry as much as possible. And, and so we've often been like, hey, come on, come inside. You know, and they'll come into our porch. And. And there, you know, and this has happened just last year, this guy, and he, he's underneath this big tree, and he's, you know, and it's just pouring. So I went out there, and I don't speak Spanish. This always makes it fun. You know, and I'm like, come on, come on, come on, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're not supposed to do this, you're supposed to do this, because of cultural stuff, so I'm, come, 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 you know, and he's looking at me like, and he didn't, it's beautiful, he didn't even ask a question, he's like, boom, he's in our house. 
And he's standing there, and so I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the radar, and it's not going to stop raining for a while. We can't have you staying here the whole time. And so I'm like, hey, where do you, you want to go? You know, and then I you know, spoke perfect English, Spanish to him. I'm like, hey, me drive you, you know. And he got it. And he's like, ah, see, see. So into the car we went. He's soaking wet. And I'm like, okay, my car is now all wet and all good, you know. So I'm listening to him. I'm like, where do you need to go? And I thought I heard him say the Mexican consulate. Hmm, I thought. And so I'm like, okay, well, I know where that is. And I'll take you. And if you don't know where that is, it's just, you know, past the bypass on the 77. And so I'm like, yeah, it's no problem. It's right there. So I'm driving towards that now on Victoria. And I notice there's a change in demeanor in the man. Um, he suddenly, I, I, I sensed, and I could be totally wrong, I sensed him looking over and sizing me up. <laughs> like, this guy is not taking me where I want to go. And if I need to, I can take him. And I can get out of this vehicle and I can be on my way, rain or not. And so... I'm becoming more and more aware of the fact that this guy is not mm, sure about what I'm doing. So I did what I've done multiple times, and I appreciate so much that so many of you know Spanish. I called somebody, and I didn't have permission to use his name, but he owns Big Greenhouse. Um, and so I called him up, and I said, hey, just curious if you could speak to this person over the speakerphone in my car. And yep, absolutely. And I really, truly believe, I'm convinced of this now, that Spanish is the language of heaven. It is so beautiful. Like, they're like, back and forth, ah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like raising my hands, like, amen, amen. Oh, yeah, back on the wheel, back on the wheel, you know. Uh, and so it was just this beautiful thing where they're like just talking back and forth. And all of a sudden, I heard the person I called go, ah, see, sí, see, sí, see. Sí. And then it sounded something like, uh, loco pastor. No idea. I just assumed he's telling the guy, here's a local pastor trying to do a, you a favor, and I apologize for that, you know. And so then he says, okay, like, uh, where he, he doesn't want to go to the Mexican consulate. He wants to go to Taco Tony's. How I got that confused, I have no idea. But I'm beginning to wonder if local pastor has um, different meanings. Um, he didn't say that just as a joke. But Here's something I want you to think about for a moment. Here's the crazy thing. If you put your ear to the pulse of your community, you will hear needs everywhere. If you put your ear to the pulse of the community, you are going to see needs everywhere. You are going to see hurt. You're going to hear about people who need Jesus. People who need a good deed done for them. And they're everywhere. I'm so proud of this church. And I, I'm, I'm saying this genuinely. I'm so proud of this church for how we have stepped up and how we have been involved in our local community. How generous we have been. And we're involved in other parts. And, and obviously there's always more to do. But I want you to know that I am so proud of you for the way that you have stepped up and the way that you are helping our community. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. I want that same focus in our life groups. Because it's easy for us to gather like this and say, oh, the church is doing so much and, and you're not really involved in a life group or you are involved in a life group. And it's easy for us to say, well, because the church is already doing this and this, I don't need to. But if the focus within every life group is also to, to stress community change, then we are going to do more things than we could do if we were in, you know, just in one big setting like this. The other thing that's important with that is that when... We do community change as a whole. There are places that we just can't all go into. 
But within your life group, because you're in a smaller circle, because you're in a smaller environment, you are able to go and meet needs in those places that we could not do as a whole. So life groups can become this agent, you know, of both individual and community change. When they are bathed or when they are organized around and bathed in and focused out on living the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we are honest, when we are open, and when we are vulnerable with one another, there's an opportunity for us to carry each other's burdens, for that growth, for that relationship to happen, but also for us to spur one another on towards good deeds. An individual that I appreciate very much, his name, his name is Ed Stedzer. He said this in Christianity Today in 2014, he said this, when we preach the gospel to one another in a close-knit community, there is a spiritual growth that changes us individual and individually and as a whole. We can also begin to position ourselves with an outward focus and encourage gospel transformation in the community outside the church walls. I love that little phrase. Positioning ourselves with an outward focus. So preaching the gospel, what he's talking about here is not that we're like doing what I'm doing now and that you're sitting in life group preaching the gospel, but it's preaching the gospel in the sense of listening to each other's lives and hearing what God's doing in our lives and encouraging each other and saying, you know, God has a plan for your life and, and whatever it might be, but preaching the gospel to each other in the sense of saying, I am living out what Jesus is doing in my, what Jesus has done in my life and I'm encouraging you to join in with me. But the whole while, we need to be life groups. We need to be churches. We need to be a community that is outward focused. You've heard me say this before, that when we are only inward focused, we actually become toxic. And you see this in churches all the time. Churches that are only inward focused become toxic. There's, there's a lot of um, um, you know, conflict, and, and it's not a healthy place to be. There's something beautiful, and there's something about it, like, almost like a fresh breath of air when we are focused outward and we're involved in something bigger than ourselves. When Jesus gave his disciples the Great Commission, here's something very important for us to catch. He did not tell his disciples to go back to Jerusalem, start small churches around you know, with the people who already are believers, who were already disciples, and then you know, create the best programs ever to, to take good care of each other and to you know, sing songs everyone liked and to you know, paint the walls the color everyone liked and just focus on themselves. Jesus did not say this to his disciples. It was very clear right from the get-go that they were not supposed to just care for each other. Matthew chapter 28, you've heard this, these verses probably many times. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's what I need you to understand. There's no more miracles coming from Jesus after this. He has done everything he needed to do. There's no more sermons. He's died. He's risen. He's now about to ascend to heaven. And the only thing that will happen is what he's already promised would happen. And that is the Holy Spirit will come. So Jesus is now literally saying, I'm summing up. I'm summing up what I want you to do. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The church was commanded by Jesus to position themselves for outward focus. The church was commanded to make community change, to go into the community, to impact others 
to take what Jesus had taught them and to share that with other people, to live that out. This is, you know, this, when this becomes our focus and when this becomes the thing that we are most, you know, um, attentive to, it changes our lives. It will change your perspective. It will change your, your purpose even. Because suddenly if you're in a church where everyone's inwardly focused, you come to church and you expect to be, you know, basically catered to. You expect that everybody's going to do for you what you want. But when you are an outward focused church, you come to church ready to participate in something bigger than yourself. And so the church is to be this place where we are involved in making an impact where we are changing our community. And I want to say to us today, and if that's the focus of the church, then that must be the focus, that must be one of the focuses of every life group. I don't want to milk this and over, overstate it or overuse it, but I, I, you know, a couple of um, weeks ago in the evening, we had the Refoka night here. And we had the family come up and share about what God has done in their lives and how God connected us with them and, and all of that. And I saw something in your faces. And I've seen this before. I've seen this in your faces when we talk about how this church is involved in the community, how this church is providing breakfast, how this church is, you know, helping start a church, and how this church is, and all these, I've seen this before. There was, there was this obvious look of joy on your faces as you realized and as you, as you were aware of the fact that you are part of something bigger than yourself. And I don't know about you, but I love being part of something that is bigger than just me. And I think that is one of the reasons where we need to position ourselves to be outward focused. To be outward focused takes energy, it takes time, but it is so rewarding. It breathes new life into a community. Stetzer goes on and he says, As much as I love gathering with the, whole, with the whole of a local congregation for corporate worship, there is something powerfully unique about an intimate gathering around a living room or a small classroom or a dining room table that forces us to think differently than when we are in the sanctuary for a time of preaching. Small groups, or as we would call them life groups, in fact, are where much of the theology taught in our pulpit begins to be fleshed out in conversations and action. If you want your church to be on mission, Teach it from the pulpit and equip, it for your, equip your people to wrestle with it in small groups. It is messy that way, but it is fruitful. I think one of the challenges, and we've talked about this in this series, is that we can easily become people who sit in rows and we, you know, we listen and we hear and we experience. But we want to be a church that does more than just learn. We want to be a church that does more than just obtain knowledge. We want to be a church that puts this into action. James chapter 1 verse 22. And, and again, if you're a church person, you've heard this before. But if not, listen to what it says. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Sounds like the stats we talked about last week. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. If you've attended church even for a short, short time, you have probably heard that somewhere. We aren't saved, obviously, by what we do. We aren't saved by our works. 
But James is clear here that we are to put into action the things that we have heard. That we can't only read the Bible and, and say, yep, that's all. I need to just gather more information. Gather more information. He goes on. Those who consider themselves, their, themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Now that seems kind of out of nowhere. Like, okay, why are we talking about keeping our tongue in check. And I think very often, you know, when we read that, and we don't have time to dig into all of it, but when we read that, we may assume that what James is speaking to here is, you know, that we need to rein in our tongue as far as, you know, words that we say and bad words that we say and slander. And it's interesting that James doesn't give us an example of what this means. He doesn't illustrate and say, oh, here's what I mean with that. So we're kind of left to understand for ourselves and wrestle with ourselves as to what exactly is he saying here. But James is like, if you, you know, do not reign in your tongue, your religion is worthless. So what does he mean? It, well, it could obviously be slander. It could be verbal outbursts. It could be, you know, whatever verbally that we say. But I wonder if in the context of what he's saying here, that it could also mean that we need to be careful that we don't say all the right things but do nothing beyond say them. I wonder if he's also saying that be careful that you don't sing worship songs about surrendering all to God, but not doing anything more than singing that song. I wonder if he's also saying that be careful that you're not singing songs about giving your all to God, when in your heart there are things you would never fully give to him. I wonder if he's also saying that you, you know, there's a difference between knowing the church lingo and, and promising to pray for someone but then never following up on those things. What exactly James is saying here isn't said, but I think in the context we need to be careful that we don't just live verbally. One thing that's very clear is that we can deceive ourselves with our tongue. That we can establish a verbal religion that is worthless in the eyes of God if it is not followed up by action. And I wonder if James here is repeating something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their, uh, their teachings are merely human rules. What Jesus was obviously referring to here is that these people were doing and saying all these things, but there was no love backing it up. There was nothing that was happening beyond this verbal statement. But James goes on in verse 27, he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. I got to stop here for a second and say we need to be careful with that verse. Because if we build our theology around that one verse, we will build a theology of works. And so like every passage in scripture, we need to read that passage through the lens and the context of the entire scripture. But what James is making very clear here is that we cannot ignore the needs in our community. We cannot see something and say the right things to that person. We cannot come and only hear certain things taught, but then never plan on actually impacting our community. Our mission as a church is leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That should also be the focus then of every life group. Here's what you need to know. If you're not in a life group, you need to know this. And if you are in a life group, you already know this. That life groups can be daunting. It's not for the faint of heart. 
life, being in a life group actually requires you to be, to be very brave. It, it requires you to be willing to take risks. Why? Because you're going to actually surround yourself with a small group of people that you can't hide from. If you don't show up for life group, they're going to call you and say, hey, where were you? And if, you, if you're the only one that always sits quietly, at some point someone's going to put their arm around you and say, hey, what's going on? Why, why are you always quiet? Life group is not for the faint of heart. Life groups require you to be brave. When you cram a bunch of people into a small living room and you all talk together and you share and you talk, you know, and you open up and all those kind of things, that can be, that can be challenging. Life group should be a place where life happens. You're not this another environment where you're teaching things you never plan on executing and doing. So we want to see strong relationships established. We want to see spiritual growth, but we also want to see community change. So I want to leave us with this focus, this thought. Focus on moving from knowledge to action. Something strange begins to happen when we move merely from looking at the words on, in Scripture and actually focusing on unpacking those and applying those to our lives. Something strange begins to happen when we, as a community, begin to open Scripture and we pray and we invite the Holy Spirit to make known to us what it is that this means. To truly see that we are part of what is being said, that we need to act on what is being said, that we need to apply into our lives what is being said. We went to this conference, Marie and I, and man, we were moved and we were challenged. And one of the things that we were praying for and we really challenged each other to pray for is we said, you know, we want to pray and invite God to break our hearts for our community. And I almost got mad at Maria for saying that because I'm like, I've done that. I've done that. You know, come on, we can't do everything, you know. The little pushbacks that you love to give when God uses your spouse to challenge you. And so we're like, okay, we're going to pray that God gives us a greater love for our community, for our own church and for our local community and, and, and more. When we get back, the next morning I go for a walk, first thing in the morning. And Orlando weather and Leamington weather, we're bow tied, you know. And so I'm walking down this trail. And I see in front of me. This man, he's got his bicycle, and he's got just so much junk. He's clearly homeless, but he's collected all this stuff, and I'm sure all of it is valuable to him. And he's standing there, and he's trying to put it on himself, and he's trying to wrap it on his bicycle, and he's, you know, and I just looked at him, God, you got to be kidding me. Right away, <laughs> right away. And I stood there, and I was at a bit of a distance, and I pretended to kind of be tied up, you know, with something. I had my dog, and I was like, you know, do something, dog, you know, so I can blame you. But, you know, and I'm kind of looking at it, and I literally, I just thought to myself, I don't know what to do. I walked by. I didn't know what to do. I said, hi. I said, you need a hand, you know, all those kind of things. And he, he muttered something, and I, just, I walked by. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help. But here's what I challenged myself with. That I never want to be a person who stops seeing those needs. And whose heart doesn't continue to break for people like that. Because when that happens, I will no longer see them. I know that. So as a life group, as a church, 
I'm challenging us to be people who will find themselves sometimes going, we don't know what to do. But that we never allow ourselves to say, well, because we didn't know what to do, we'll just stop looking. So today, as you go from here, I want every single life group to consider how they can be part of changing the community. And so I'm going to give my same little spiel that I've given, you know, at the end of all of these talks, and that's this. If you're not in a life group, we want to invite you to be in one. And you might be like, well, we've been wanting to get in one and no one has, you know, there's no room. Well, then create one. You are smart people. You're leaders. So create one. Talk to Pastor Quentin and be like, okay, we really feel like we don't know what, exactly what to do and, and it may not always work out, but we want to be serious about this. We want to develop and, 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 and put together a life group. And so that is, I want to put that out there because that's on all of us. That's how life groups initially started. We gathered in a room like this and we said, hey, here's what's important to this church. And a whole bunch of you said, I'll stand up and I will lead a group. And you did. And that needs to happen again. Because we have so many people waiting to be in a life group. So I've said that now. To those of you that are not in a life group, for those of you that are in a life group, we are asking you, we're not telling you what to do, but we are simply asking you to consider whether your group should multiply. Whether what's happening in your group, if there's a way that you could multiply that and make two groups out of one. We're not telling you to do it, we're just asking you to have that conversation. Because relationships matter, growth matters, and community change matters. And the more life groups we have, we believe we can impact more people. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the examples that we see in scripture of how you um, changed people's lives. You know, how people, when they surrendered their lives to you, that they, they were transformed and, and there was new hope and there was new, new life. I thank you also for our history books. That show us of how the church was part of change. How the church was part of, even in moments when it was so dark. Even in, in what we call the dark ages. There were people, there were churches at that time who held on to the truth. And they changed the world. So we see ourselves this morning as part of this journey. As part of this story. And we want people, God... To one day look back on us and see that we were not the generation, that we were not the church who dropped the ball on this. So I pray, Lord, for every single one of us here that we would put our ear to the ground and that we would see the needs that are there and hear the needs that are there. And that we would do our best to impact those around us. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.